Happy Sabbath, and uh, yeah, as, as Sam said, putting the pressure on me, this is a big chapter. Um, and especially as we, we go through the book of Acts, this really is uh, one of those chapters that is a major turning point for the mindset, uh, for the culture, and for the theology of the early church. And really, um, I'm just going to have a short prayer before we get into it, but before I even open the Bible, before we even read the text, I'm, I'm, I feel compelled compelled to give a historical and theological background to really what was the mindset of the Jews in the first century. And I think that no no matter how much we really talk about it, I think that it's just really difficult for us to grasp the severity of this chapter and the transition that occurs here in Acts chapter 10. But let's just pray a really short prayer and um, ask God to really just try and get us to to grasp the severity of this chapter and, and what is going on. So let's just pray really quickly. Dear Father in heaven, I'm yours. Use me as a tool in your hands. Uplift the name of Jesus Christ above all names. Father, speak to us as if you were standing here today. That's all we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question is, what was it like to be a Jew in the first century? What was it like to live in Palestine or in Jerusalem during that time. And to understand this, I want to sort of look at specifically a sort of a context, a theological understanding that these guys had that had really been um, developed over several centuries. Now, if we go all the way back to the first five books of the Bible, the, the, uh, the sort of the Torah that was given, the Pentateuch, there the writings of Moses laid out for the Jews um, certain laws and regulations about things that were considered clean and unclean. Does that make sense? There were things that to them, as they were coming out of Egypt, God had to educate them on. Uh, certain things like if you were to touch a dead body, that was considered unclean, and you had to go and wash you know, uh, in a certain way and cleanse yourself so that you would not partake of the diseases that there was. Certain other things considered unclean were such things as animals. Uh, you know, pork is something that we uh, hear a lot about, the fact that Jews will not eat pork because it is unclean. But as we develop through the centuries, what happens is there's the Jews start to really start to uh, lean over the balcony and they start to interpret these laws of Moses in a way that really by the time we get to the time of Christ are very misconstrued. They are very uh, fogged up. They've really sort of perceived these laws in the wrong way. And I'm going to give you an example. When Jesus comes, by the time he arrives, Jesus really picks a time in history or he arrives at a time in history in the Jewish culture that the theology and the culture of the people is so misguided, is so off the original content and context of the scriptures that Jesus spends most of his time just trying to flip the coin, just trying to re-educate them on how they are to really interpret the law. The Pharisees, the other religious leaders, had taken these laws about clean and unclean, and they had taken them from animals and dead bodies and things like this, and they had even now at this point started to see certain people as unclean. Now, as we go through this chapter, you're going to see a lot of this prejudice come out. Now, some of you are probably already familiar with this, and you've seen in the Gospels, there's many occasions where they accuse Jesus of Why do you eat with unwatched hands and all of these sort of traditions that were there? These are not found in the Bible, but these are rather pharisaical traditions, pharisaical beliefs that have been given to the church. And so by the time of the early church, by the time of the apostles, if you were a Jew and say you were, if I was a Jew and you were a Gentile and we were walking down the street and you were coming, what do you think I would do? do? Do you think I'd be happy to touch you? No, in fact, my, even my cloak, I would wrap tightly so that it would not touch you. Otherwise, I'd become what? I'd be unclean. Do you, do you think that is a, a God law? Or do you think that's something from the Pharisees? That's a Pharisaical tradition. So they were that particular. They saw the Gentiles, non-Jews, as unclean, just like you would a pig or something like that. In fact, they even called them dogs. You're a, you're a dog. And that's sad to their face. Do you think they were misconstrued? I mean, if you were at, if you were, if I came in, into a home and you were sitting there and you were a Gentile and you were eating at a table, I wouldn't even eat at that table. I wouldn't touch the cutlery that you're touching. I wouldn't drink from the cup that you're drinking from. This is the mindset, the context of the early church. In fact, Peter, the apostles, lived in this world. 
They've been brought up since they were children going, see that, he's a Gentile, he's unclean, don't go near him. They were brought up with this. And so this is really gives us a, a snippet, a preview into the mindset of Peter and Paul and many of these other apostles who, who were genuine, who were doing their best knowing God. But in Acts chapter 10, God brings down the hammer. And he brings a radical shift in their minds. So basically, as we know, the Jews perceive everyone that was non-Jewish as unclean, as common, as someone that they did not want to associate with. And thus is the setting for Acts chapter 10. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 10 and begin reading the setting here. Peter is in Joppa and Luke draws our attention now away from Joppa through to the place or through to Caesarea. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 1, Luke begins like this and he says, there was a certain man in where? Caesarea. Now, I bring that point up. I'm just going to skip a couple of slides. Actually, I've got, yeah, here it is. So there's there's a picture of Caesarea during the time of, of Paul. Uh, sorry, of Peter and, and the other apostles. It says here, now there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the what? The Italian regiment. So what do we know about Cornelius from a Jewish perspective? He is a Roman military man. He is a centurion, the commander of over 100 men, 100 men or more. And is he a Gentile? So therefore he's what? He's unclean. So straight away, if I was a Jew and I'm reading this in the first century, I'd go, Ugh. he's a what? He's a, he's a Roman. Now, by the way, if you were a Jew living in Palestine, who has occupied your land? The Romans. Now, do you like the Romans? No. Okay, not only is he a Gentile, but he's a, he's a Roman. And like that, but he is a military commander. Now, not, is he, not only is he a military commander, but he's of a special regiment called the what again? Italian regiment or the Italian band. Now, these were very rare. What they were, what they were was that within a legion, which is around 6,000 men, you had one or several of these Italian bands. What they were, see, most legionnaires or most of the Roman military were made up of multiple races. They, the Roman military would suck in or draw in soldiers from around the empire, but they would have these unique and special uh, uh, regiments that were made up purely of who? Romans. These were like the loyal band. These were the faithful ones. They were within battle. These guys weren't going to flee. They were fighting for their country. So we know straight away that Cornelius is not only a military commander, but he's of a very special class. He's of an elite uh, military band. So this is the setting we have. The other thing we notice about the text is that Caesarea was named after, who do you think? Caesar. When the Romans occupied Palestine, when they came into Jerusalem, Judea, they set up as their capital, um, Caesarea. Now, and so as a Jew, when you think, when someone says the word Caesarea, do you think you're happy about it? Yeah, when they heard Caesarea, they were like, oh, Caesarea. You know, the, the, these guys are occupying us and they've set up their little capital in Caesarea. So to them, they've even named uh, a city after their demigod, Caesar. So here's the setting. You're a Jew, they're a Gentile. He's a Roman. Here's Caesarea, the capital of the Roman occupation of Judea. But Luke does something to our perspective straight away. He talks about Cornelius, this Roman military commander, and he says, verse 2, he was a what? A devout man and one who feared God and all his household who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God, how often? Always. Wow. Wait a minute. Is he a Jew? He's a, a Gentile. And, 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 and as far as I'm concerned, as a Jew, he is he's unclean. Yet Luke tells us, by the way, is Luke writing this? This is an interesting point. And, and you know what's really interesting about this chapter is that Luke places more ink, more attention to this event than he does even to the conversion of Saul. That's how important it is. Because Luke is a Gentile himself. And he knows that if it wasn't for this chapter, if it wasn't for this shift, he wouldn't be where he was. And in fact, you and I wouldn't be where we are today. 
So that's significant. Because as far as we know, as far as Peter and them were concerned, they were caught up in the ministry, caught up in the focus, caught up in the work of Jerusalem and, 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 and to the Jews. Now, I want you to notice what Ellen White says concerning Cornelius, the way that she describes his life. And she says that he was a, what? Heathen by birth, training and education. Yet, here's the point. Through contact with the who? The Jews, he had gained a knowledge of God. And he had worshipped him with a, what kind of heart? With a true heart. Showing the sincerity of his faith by doing what? Passion to the poor. You know, as Pastor Ashrick preached a few weeks ago, and this is something that clicked with me, he says, you know, really, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know when you're really being a Christian is when you're giving to the who? To the poor. It's when you have acts of service. It's when you're living it out for God. So here's this man. Here's the question I have for you. Was this man a Jew? In fact, he wasn't even a proselyte. He wasn't even accepted into the Jewish religion. He was a Gentile over here. The Jews were over there. Yet from his perception, as he is gay, as he's lived in Judea as a Roman military commander, as he's observed the practices, the customs, the teaching of the Jews, he, through all of that, has seen who? God. Now that makes me think. Is it possible that there are people out there who are worshipping God, who don't fit into our mold. That's a tough question, right? This is what is happening in the minds of the apostles. They couldn't even conceive that these Gentiles could truly know God. Yet he had gained a knowledge of God. She goes on and says, He was known far and near for his beneficence, and his righteous life made him of good repute amongst both who? Jews and Gentiles. Now that's incredible, isn't it? Because the Jews themselves, the Jews themselves, the last thing they wanted to do is associate with the Gentiles. Yet this man was of so good report. He was so giving and so loving and so grateful for the God that he knew, even though he didn't have all the wisdom, that he even gained favor with the Jewish people around him. He was not a member of the Jewish church and would have been looked upon by the rabbis as what? Heathen and unclean. Is it possible that we can fall into that today? Can we look at people around us, and we may not use the word unclean or heathen, but we look at people because of their lifestyle or they're doing certain things that we don't approve of, and God doesn't either, but is it possible that we straight away put them in a box, that we straight away count them out when they could be closer to God than we realize? Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, this is Cornelius, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Does God know Cornelius? Now notice why the angel is sent. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so he answered him, this is the angel, your what? Your what again? Your what again? Is it important to pray? Does God hear our prayers? Let me tell you something, friends. You cannot expect God to work in your life if you're not praying. You cannot have a strong Christian walk on spasmodic prayer. This man prayed daily. He prayed frequently. He prayed fervently. And he was a Gentile. Yet sometimes God's very people are putting prayer on the shelf because we're too caught up on other things. Is that right? I'm preaching to myself here as well. 
I get so caught up in my day sometimes, and I'm teaching the Bible, that I forget the most important thing is that it's to pause, to turn off the key, keys of my ignition and say, God, I, need to, I can't do anything unless I've first spent time with you. Your prayers and your arms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a who? A ten. I'm going to come back to this point in just a minute. Whose house is by the sea, and he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from amongst those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. His prayers had come up before God. Cornelius is praying. But here's the question I have for you. God sends this angel. Cornelius doesn't know anything about Jesus. All he's been doing is standing here gazing at the Jewish religion and somehow through all of the corruption of the day, he still saw, Christ, still saw God, the love of God. That's amazing to me. That's amazing, isn't it? Is it possible he still, God can still see Christ through us? Are you perfect? I'm not. But somehow God can still reveal himself through us. Say amen. Because that's grace. Yet Cornelius is gazing at the Jewish religion and he sees God. But here's the question. The angel has come and asked him to send for Simon Peter who's down at Joppa. Now, here's the question. Why didn't the angel... Just tell Cornelius about Jesus. What, I mean, wouldn't that have been easier? The angel's there. I mean, Cornelius is there. He's praying and this angel appears. He's afraid. And he says, I have something to tell you. Go and send for Simon. <laughs> why, why has this happened? Why is it that, that God works this way? I had a question for you when we looked at Acts 2 and Acts 4 and Acts 7. Does anyone remember, remember what the question was? What is the church and what is the role of the church? And this is what I want to touch on today because this chapter pierces out to us about the, the true uh, mission of the church that we are a part of. Now notice what what Spirit of Prophecy says, Ellen White and Acts of the Apostles, 135, talking about why it is that the angel didn't tell Cornelius about Jesus straight away. This is a strange thing to us, but pay attention to these words. It says, in his wisdom, in whose wisdom? God. The Lord brings those who are seeking for what? For seeking for truth. There are people in this community right now who are seeking for truth. As a Bible worker, as an evangelist, over the last nine years, I have found countless and countless times where I have prayed and they have prayed and God has brought us together and they're going, I am seeking for truth. And I say, God has brought me to your door today. In his wisdom, the Lord brings those who are seeking for truth into touch with fellow beings who know the what? Why is this? It is the plan of heaven that those who have received light shall impart it to those in darkness. Have you received light? Let me tell you something, friends. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, that doesn't make you better than anybody else, but if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you have the greatest light on the earth today. You have the greatest message on the earth today. I make no apologies about saying that. I've sat with many denominations and many people from many faiths, and I can tell you that after all that time of questioning and looking, I stand here today as a Seventh-day Adventist proudly proclaiming this message because it is the greatest message on the world today. It is the three angels' message. You have incredible light. The world is in darkness. The world is in a misunderstanding of God. But God uses us to deliver his message. She goes on and says, Humanity drawing its efficiency from the great source of wisdom, is made the what? Instrumentality, the working agency through which the gospel 
exercises its transforming power on mind and heart. Why is it that the angel just didn't tell Jesus about, uh, Cornelius about Jesus? It's because God's goal, God's work has always been and will always be through the church. Because as we get active, that is our calling. As we go out with the light that we've received, we receive a blessing ourselves. As we go out and minister, we are ministered to. You see, the ingredients that make up the successful Christian life is fellowship. It's prayer, it's Bible study, but it's also witnessing. And many of us are missing that piece of the cake. We're missing that ingredient. Therefore, we're not fully complete. That doesn't mean you've got to stand up and preach a campaign. That doesn't mean you've got to go and stand on street corners preaching the gospel. But the simplest things are the witnessing and the preaching of the gospel. Giving soup to someone who's hungry. Visiting someone who needs visiting. Loving someone who needs love. Jesus said, love one another as I have what? Loved you. That's his great mission. That's his great calling on the heart of Christ is to go. And I mentioned this, that any business, any organization, church, whatever you want to call it, if you lose sight of your mission, you start to die a natural death. Do you agree? I mean, notice Acts chapter 1. Keep your fingers in Acts 10. Let's go to Acts 1 for just a moment. The last words of Jesus to me strike at the heart of God. What is God most interested in? What is God most earnestly seeking for? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus' last words, Acts 1 and verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But notice this, verse 8. But you shall receive power. This is a message to us, a message to the church. You receive what? Power. When do we get power? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what do we do with it? Sit around. And you shall be witnesses to me. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then when? Up to this point, Peter, Luke, James, John, they had only witnessed where? Jerusalem and Judea. But now God is pushing them. He is trying to get into their heads that his gospel, his mission, his goal for the church is far greater than what they perceived. Is it possible that we've lost sight of that? Is it possible that we have been so caught up, this will sting a little, in traditions and arguing about little things that we've missed the most important thing? Don't let the minor things get in the way of the most important thing, amen? What does God care about the most? Reaching out to a world that is in darkness and sharing the love and the light and the saving message of Jesus Christ. That is why you're here. That is why you exist. That is why you wake up in the morning. That is why you go to work. You don't go to work so you can build a big fancy home. Yes, you've got to pay your bills. Yes, you've got to look after your family. Yes, your first ministry is your home. Amen? Amen. But that's your Jerusalem. Where's your Samaria? Is that your neighborhood? What about your community? Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius sends his messengers to Joppa to get Simon. And it's at this time that the scene moves over to Peter. Peter's on the rooftop. In verse 9. The next day it says, the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to do what? Is prayer important? Let me tell you something, guys. If you're praying and they're praying, God will bring it together. The amount of times, I don't know many of you can testify to this, 
You have prayed in the morning, said, God, give me an opportunity to share your love. And does he do it? You know that Ellen White tells us that Peter was up on the rooftop here, and you know what he was praying for? He was looking out over Joppa, and he was praying for the souls of the people. So he's praying about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open. And an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things and birds of the air. This is basically like Genesis 1. And notice this, that here's the point, guys. In this sheet, Peter sees the sheet coming down. I mean, he's hungry, right? And Jesus, uh, God brings this sheet down. And in this sheet are all sorts of animals, animals that were clean and what? Unclean. Now, to a Jew from childhood, you were taught to do what with unclean things? Stay away, right? Now, Peter knows this, and he'd seen Jesus do the same thing. I mean, Jesus wasn't eating pork. And so he's there, and notice what the voice says. Now, this, was, this is pretty crazy. Verse 13, and a voice came to him and says, rise, Peter, kill and do what? Whoa. I mean, there's pork in there, there's scorpions, there's who knows what crazy stuff, right? Gluten steaks. No, I'm just joking. So... Verse 14, I don't know what's clean or unclean there. Peter said, well, how does he respond? Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything, what does he say? Common or unclean. Lord, oh, why would you ask me to do this? This, this is a non-negotiable. I'm not going to eat those unclean things. My body's holy and I live a holy life. Amen. Now, was Peter right? Notice the rebuke of God, or not the rebuke, but rather the response of God here in the next verse. Now, God is not disputing things that are unclean. He's disputing something else. Verse 15, and a voice spoke to him again the second time and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call what? What's that word? Common. Now, we have to pick up on something here. In the Jewish perspective, now I just shared with you before about the fact that they saw things that were unclean, pigs and things like that, they were unclean. Now certain other animals, a lamb, a chicken, whatever, they were clean animals. You could eat those animals. Does that make sense? Now somewhere along the lines, and this is not in the Bible, this was a Pharisaic teaching. They had started to see certain people as unclean, okay? And basically in the Jews' perspective that if a lamb... This was a Pharisee teaching. If a lamb ran into a, 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 a swine of pigs, that lamb that was clean has now become common. Does that make sense? Therefore, you can't eat that lamb. You can't touch that lamb. That lamb is basically unclean. Does that make sense? Now, that's not a biblical teaching. You won't find that anywhere in Deuteronomy or Leviticus. This was a Pharisaical teaching. Now, what do you think God's trying to get through to Peter? Peter sees a sheet lowered down. He sees unclean animals and he sees clean animals, but are they mixed together? Yeah. And then God says, eat. And Peter says, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. So the point he's making here, he says, Lord, these lambs, these chickens, I know that they're okay to eat, but they're mixed in with pigs and other things. I mean, the, the issue here is not the pigs. The issue is what? the clean animals that are mixed with the unclean animals. But what does God say? What God has cleansed, you must not call what? Common. That's the word. The Greek word here is koinos or common. The, the, the debate here is not about unclean animals. God is not saying, you can go eat pigs and scorpions now. Go for it, Peter. Does anyone want to join me for a, a centipede salad later? This is not a debate. Peter, that, even Peter later, he, he's even like, man, what's God trying to show? I mean, this is not a, a negotiable thing. This is, we don't eat those things. They're scavengers. Those things are not for consumption. But it was the common animals because God had never taught them to discern people as common things. 
And notice this, notice Peter's response. This happens three times. It seems to be uh, three times it takes for Peter to click half the time. And it says, verse 16, this was done three times and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, verse 17, now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house stood before the gate. Now, What's the purpose of the vision? Peter's there, he sees a sheep come down, he sees clean animals and unclean animals. And in church tradition, Pharisaic teachings, which were not biblical, he perceived those animals now as common and not to be touched. This is not in the Bible. What's the purpose of the vision? Notice what it says in Acts of the Apostles. This vision conveyed to Peter both reproof and what? instruction. It revealed to him, it revealed to him the purpose of God. Now notice this, that by the death of Christ, the who? Now what were the Gentiles again? Unclean. That by the death of Christ, the Gentiles should be made fellow heirs with the Jews to the blessing of salvation. Now would that have been a radical thought? That was huge. It took a miracle, it took a vision, and it's going to take something more for this to happen. The purpose of the vision is not saying go and eat scorpions. It's saying that, Peter, you are not to look at people as less, as unclean, or as lower. Because when Jesus died, he made all equal. She goes on and says, as yet none of the disciples had preached the gospel to the who? I mean, we're in Acts chapter 10, guys, and and the apostles had not preached the gospel to who? Because to them, that wasn't even an option. And when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, and then after that, they just heard blah, blah, blah. They're like, yeah, Jerusalem, great. (laughs) They don't want to hear the Judea and Samaria in the outermost parts of the world. It's like, yeah, Jerusalem, cool, Judea, that's fine. You know, it's funny, guys. Is, is it possible that for us, we get so caught up in our Adventist bubble that to us, we don't even step out to people that we're uncomfortable with? You know, there was a, a, a couple of people, I'd say there's been about three or four people who are homosexuals that I've ministered to in my life. And you know what they've all said to me? They said, Daniel, you treat me with love and respect. No, one, no other Christian person's done that. I said, brother, you and I are equal in God's eyes. But God is calling us to something greater. How many of us are willing to sit with someone who's smoking and drinking or drugs, whatever it is, and to see them as God sees them? To love them as God loves them. And there was a major barrier in the minds of the apostles that God had to get the sledgehammer out and he had to smash down. The disciples had not even preached to the gospel to the Gentiles yet. In their minds, the middle wall of partition, broken down by the death of Christ, still existed and their labors had been confined to the who? For they had looked upon the Gentiles as excluded from the blessings of the gospel. Can you imagine? You know, friends, if this event didn't happen, you and I would not be sitting here. Because we're Gentiles. They would never have gone out. They would have just stayed amongst the Jews. But God was trying to get through to their minds that the gospel is far larger than what we perceive. And friends, God is still trying to break down the walls in our own minds. He's still trying to push us along, to talk to people we wouldn't talk to, to treat people the way that we wouldn't expect, to love people as Christ loved us. We didn't deserve it. They had looked upon the Gentiles as excluded from the blessings of the gospel. Now the Lord was seeking to teach Peter the worldwide extent of the what? Divine plan. 
Friends, I'm going to push it, I'm going to push it, and I'm going to push it as we go through Acts. If there's one thing you take away from this series, is that the major primary purpose of why we are here today is to preach the gospel to a dying world. To tell the world that Jesus is coming again. That the only hope is not resting in the hands of men, but it's in the hands of the Savior who's to come. We are Adventists, and the word Advent means what? The second coming of Christ, burning in our hearts, is the one, is the hope for Jesus to return. All of man's best efforts cannot fix the problems of this world. There is only one solution, and that solution is who? Jesus Christ. Every apostle, every prophet, every inspired writer has penned the words of the great hope of God. Friends, that is our calling. That is our privilege Let's let go of all these theological issues. And I'm not saying, don't take me wrong. But is it possible that we get so caught up along the way that there's our mission and we get sidetracked with minor things? The devil is always placing snares along the pathway for us. And I've seen churches that are moving for God. The next minute, they're totally split down the middle over the most stupid things because they didn't agree on the color of the carpet. It should be burgundy. (laughs) Really? But this happens. You know why? Because we take our eyes off the reason why we're here. And friends, God will get his message through to the end. I just pray that I'm part of that train. Amen? I pray every day for you guys that you're there with me as we're reaching out for Christ. Let's, let's, let's wrap this up quickly. Verse 17, as he has wondered, as he has questioned exactly what is going on, these men stood before the gate. And as we go through, uh, they tell Peter what Cornelius has seen. He has seen the vision. They have come to him. And Peter is still wondering what this vision is about. But it starts to dawn on him as these men tell him about the vision that Cornelius has received. And so Peter takes, and notice verse 23, Then he invited them. This is the next day. He invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them. So he now goes to Caesarea. And some brethren from Joppa accompanying him. Peter understood that this was such a major event. Do you know that Peter would be called into question for even meeting with the Gentile? He'd be bailed up over this issue. So he brought witnesses with him. And L.Y. tells us he brought six men with him to Caesarea to witness what was about to happen so that he could say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just following the Spirit here. Verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, now notice this, by the way, who's Cornelius again? Is he a Jew or a Gentile? Therefore he is? Okay, now, just to, for Peter to walk in his house was a no-no, according to Pharisaic tradition, not the Bible, Pharisaic tradition. This was, I mean, Peter was nervous. He's walking in. Now, to add pressure to this, notice what Cornelius does. Verse 25, and Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and did what? Whoa, <laughs> you know, you're, I'm not even supposed to be talking to you, and then you fall down and worship me. Man, I'm going to be in big trouble for this. And, and what does Peter say? Well, Peter lifted him up and saying, stand up. I am myself also I'm a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found how many? Many who had come together. Man, that is awesome. You know, when I read that as an evangelist, I mean, you give me a house ready, full of people just want to hear the gospel. Amen. It'd go for hours. People would be falling asleep everywhere. Verse 28, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is. For a who? Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me, (laughs) this is crazy. God has shown me what? That I should not call any man common or unclean. Acts 10? We're at Acts 10. And now he gets it. Is it possible that God's still got a lot to teach us, right? 
you know, when I started theology, um, I was pretty certain about a few things, or a lot of things. I, you know, I, the Bible's pretty easy to understand. <laughs> and I got to theology and got a good smack of reality. <laughs> because let me tell you something, the Bible is, there's a lot of issues that, I mean, the major things are easy. Sabbath is Sabbath. There's no, there's no question in my mind. Jesus is my Savior. There's no question in my mind. But there's a lot of stuff that, you know, are what we call gray areas. Would you agree? You know, certain interpretations of how we do this or what. I mean, hey, what, what music should we have? I mean, whoa, you know, these can open up some can of worms, all right? God's got a lot more to teach us. But God makes most clear what's most important. And here as Luke has penned this event. He is showing us the clarity of this discernment and the way that we should perceive other people. As we go through the chapter, Cornelius recites to him the event of the vision, the angel coming to him. Peter shares with him. Now notice verse 34. To me, this is, this is really at the heart of what we're talking about. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth. He's good at doing that, isn't he? And said, in truth I perceive, or now I know, that God shows what? No partiality. Or as other translations would say, God is no respecter of persons. Is that right? You know, friends, we are very removed from that cultural bias, or are we? How do we treat people differently to us? We have in our minds a certain box of what must, things must, must fit into. Now, don't take what I'm saying wrong, okay? But we have a certain box, right? That's a Christian, right? We have a worldview, a certain perception. And when someone doesn't fit into that, even if they go, I am a Christian, what do we immediately do? But here's the point. Does God have people outside of the Adventist church? Absolutely. What does it say in the end of Daniel 12? Come out of her, my. Most of God's people aren't even in our church today. That's, that's crazy, huh? But is that great? Praise the Lord. God has his people out there now in the community, sitting in other churches. And friends, as I have met with many Baptists and Pentecostals and Church of Christ, there are sincere and faithful people seeking for truth. Amen? But you know what? There's also people in the Adventist church with all the light who don't care about it. That's scary. And friends, I pray for all of us that we don't be like the Jews who have missed the point of the gospel commission. So caught up as Satan does to us all the time about this and this and this when the wide vision and the clarity of what he's called us to do is right there. You know what God's intent was for the Jewish nation? I'm going to look at two verses and we're going to grab our connect card. Isaiah 42, and over and over in the Old Testament, notice what God says to the Jewish people. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. So God does all these things for them. Why? I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the Jews. Who for? The purpose, the reason why God came all the way to Abraham and shook Abraham's hand and said, Abraham, you live in the of the Chaldees. You have a perception of me, but you don't fully know me. I'm going to educate you on who I am. I am the great God of love. I am the creator God. And I'm going to educate through you and all of your descendants so that you and your descendants will be a light to the world. Abraham, look, look north, east, south, west, everything you see, the, I will give you. That's the whole world. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and God educates and educates them through the sanctuary and the prophets and he's teaching them about who he is and they have the blessings. Now God's working around the world as well, but specifically and in clarity through the Jewish people. And we get to the time of Jesus and here they are. Jesus walks into the temple. Now I'm going I'm, to make this point. Sorry, David, I'm going over time. Don't get up me. They walk into the temple. Jesus walks into the temple. Now get this. What was the purpose of the Jewish people? Why did God give them all this light? So they're going to take that light and do what? Share it, right? He walks into the temple, and in the temple there was a certain section called the court of the Gentiles. The court of the what? 
Gentiles. This was where if you were a Jew, you were to go here and you were to pray for who? The Gentiles. And the Jews became so corrupted and lost sight of their mission that they thought, we don't need that space. Let's fill it up where we can exchange money, right? We don't need that. And Jesus comes in and what does he do? He turns the tables and he makes a whip and he whips. (laughs) What does that tell you about God's heart? What is God interested in? You've turned it into a den of thieves. Friends, we can so easily, some of us even right now, are so caught up on things, and they may not be bad, but they're not the best. Put aside the common for the awesome. Put aside the mundane for the miracles of God. You know it's in your heart. You know that God's calling you. Isaiah 49.6, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a what? For the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That is why we're here. That's why you wake up in the morning, amen? That's why you exist. You have the greatest privilege, the greatest message the world has ever known. What a privilege. You have all the resources of heaven. You have all the support of God. You have the holy angels by your side. Go. I want to give you guys an opportunity with your Connect card to make a decision. Now, as we look at the mission of the church, and I'm going to, I'll put this up as we look at the Connect card, but what is the purpose for this church? What is God's mission for His church? Is to preach the gospel to the, to the, uh, to the Gentiles, or to the world, I should say. To share the light of God's love to the world. And as we take our Connect cards, I want to give you an opportunity, friends. As I've got up and we've shared about the church campus, that is part of our deliberate effort to reach out to our community in Tweed, is to place a church campus, as Kingscliff moves evangelistically, moves forward for God, as we move out to reach out and share this love with others. Friends, this church is awesome. Amen? Does anybody need a card? Raise your hand. They're only $5. No, I'm joking. And I just want to say, as we're getting these Connect cards out, Praise God for these Connect cards, friends. We've been able to answer a lot of prayers. We've been able to really connect with a lot of you in a lot of ways that is difficult when we're having to visit 400 people a week. But as you write on the Connect card, remember on the back there's a prayer option as well. Make sure you put that down. Those prayers are being prayed for. If you notice the options that we have, friends, we've given you several options this week, and this is a very special Connect card today. The first option is, I will prayerfully consider being part of the Tweed Church campus. Now, if maybe on your heart you felt that, I love Kingsliff, but I really want to support, I want to help to be on the front lines of evangelism. I want to reach out giving Bible studies. I want to support the ministry work. You can tick that to say, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray to see if God puts it on my heart that that's something I want to be involved in. It doesn't mean you leave Kingsliff. It just means you want to help support the church campus. The second option is that you want to come to the orientation meeting. That's going to be held on October 22nd. Is that a significant date? Hopefully, as David says, it's not a great disappointment. October 22nd will be our orientation meeting. There we're going to talk about the vision, the goals, and how we're going to reach out in love for our community with the church campus. Now, Kingscliff will continue to do evangelism. It will continue to reach out because that's who we are. But that's a very specific call for you. The third option is, Jesus, please use me to share the gospel in this community. Amen? Remember, friends, by ticking this, you're just saying, God, this is between me and you. God, use me. I don't have all the talents. I don't know what to say. I mean, I stutter, my knees shake. But use me. Use me. God will. Last option, the fourth option is, like those in Acts 10 who heard the gospel and responded, 
I'd like to be baptized. Friends, as we go through the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 10, as the message of Peter gets to these, uh, Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit pours out and they're baptized. Maybe in your, you, you've been drifting away from God. Maybe you're coming here for the first time and you say, Lord, I want to learn more about you. I feel the call of the Holy Spirit in my life. I feel like I have, there's nothing in my life, but I want to be part of something. I want, to be, I want to join the Great Commission. I want to reach out for Christ. I want to be united with God in baptism. You can tick that box as well. On the right, we give you those options as well, that if you want to receive a Bible study, you'd like to learn more about the Bible, you can tick that box. As we start our small group ministry launching in the beginning of next year, it's going to be really exciting. Maybe God's put it on your heart that you would love to run a small group in your home. Or even if it's not in your home, you just love to put your name up and, and tick the box and say, God, use me to help run a small group. You can tick that as well. Or you'd like to learn how to give Bible studies. You'd like to come this afternoon or next, after, next week afternoon to learn how to give Bible studies. You can tick that box as well. And again, don't neglect the power of prayer on the back. A lot of prayers have been answered. As our awesome prayer ministry team have been praying, um, a lot of people are being healed. A lot of people have been feeling the Holy Spirit working in their life. So I encourage you to tick that as well, or to write down, sorry, uh, any prayer requests that you have. Let's call the musicians up and have a song, and then I'm going to, as they come up, I'm going to read you a statement as they prepare. This is from Acts of the Apostles, and to me, this is really something we should memorize, and Pastor Asherick has brought it up several times for us. But I want you to notice this statement here. This is about who the church is and why the church exists. Listen to the words. Look at the words carefully as we, as we read this together. Let's actually read it together. Is everyone ready? The church is God's appointed agency. Well, I'll just read it then. You can have it in your hearts. The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of men. It was organized for what? Service and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. From the beginning, it has been God's plan that through his church shall be what? Reflected to the world, his fullness and his sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom he has called out of into his marvelous light, are to show forth his glory. Here's the last part. The church, are we the church? The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ and through the church will eventually be made manifest even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places the final and full display of the love of God. Amen.